Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg here in the Paris of the New River Valley. I am joined remotely by my two boys. First, in the 757, we got Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's good, man? Doing good. Uh, doing good. I prob- probably would be doing better if I had a dog that was bothering the hell out of me like Mike has right at the moment. Uh, but no, I can't complain. And up north in Nova, we have the one, the only, Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you, my friend? I am petting the Golden Retriever and pumped to record this podcast. It's always good to record after a positive showing by the Hokies. It always makes this easier for us. Yes, it does. It does indeed. Folks, we are going to talk about the Hokies' victory over Boston College. We'll talk about the offensive success, the play calling. Was it better than last week? We'll move over to the defensive side of the ball where the Hokies, at least on the score sheet, certainly rebounded from a very abysmal performance against North Carolina. All that and more coming your way. But first, I got to tell you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the kind of pharmacy that treats you like a neighbor rather than a number. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, folks, the game against North Carolina two Saturdays ago left a bad taste in many Hokie fans' mouth, or at least a mixtape. Hokies clearly showed that offensively, they were an elite team. Defensively, with a shorthanded group, one of the biggest letdowns on that side of the ball in, 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 let's be honest, the history of the team. The question remained, Boston College, they were, you know, a team that had had strong showings, came into the game three and one. Would Virginia Tech be able to take care of business? Well, they say good teams win and great teams cover, and Virginia Tech certainly did that. A 40-14 to 14 victory over the Boston College Eagles, picking up their first victory over said Eagles in two seasons. A lot to process, but I think what's most important is the Hokies not only avoided the letdown game that people are scared of following a big-ranked opponent, but they took care of business on both sides of the ball. Mike and Ricky, I want to ask you guys, describe this victory in one word. Michael, you can go first. Good. I mean, it was good. Tech scores 40 points. Um, You know, anytime you, (laughs) 
you force Phil Dracovic to throw two interceptions and you recover three fumbles. That's, that's good. Um, I thought defensively initially it, it wasn't very good in the first half. Um, I, I think obviously the total yards that BC had through the air um, is indicative of the issues that Virginia tech had in the secondary and zone coverage, which we've, you know, we've seen tech struggle with that as they try to continue to get healthy and adapt to a new scheme or a newer scheme in the back end of the defense. What we've talked about on this podcast is a lot is, you know, the zone defense um, that Virginia tech plays under Justin Hamilton. It's a bit different than the man to man defense that they played more often or man free as Bud Foster like to call it. Um, they're doing less of that. Now it, it seemed like they, kind of adapted a bit and changed things up uh, in the second half and played a little bit more man coverage in the secondary, which I think helps the the tech defense quite a bit. I think it obviously got them back to their comfort zone, which is something to keep in mind through the rest of the season. But um, I, I thought overall that the defense tackled better in the second half. It was clear they made some adjustments that they were able to get off the field a bit easier, which was helpful uh, because they weren't doing that in the first half as much. Um, but yeah, you know, forcing five turnovers is huge offensively. I mean, can't say enough about what Khalil Herbert continues to do. You know, he averaged almost eight yards per carry in this game. He had 143 more yards on the ground. He had a receiving touchdown as well. Hendon Hooker, in my opinion, played the best game of his career. 18 carries for 164, three scores, 11 of 15 through the air, 111 yards and a touchdown. So it was a really complete performance offensively. Once again, for Virginia Tech, the Hokies run for 350 yards in this game, which is really awesome. Um, so again, just a really strong offensive performance. BC had a pretty strong front seven and a pretty good defense coming into this game, at least in the top half of the ACC and all major statistical categories defensively. And Virginia tech had no problem scoring 40 points on them, which was, uh, real good. Um, I, I guess if there were a couple areas to nitpick off the top, I mean, I think offensively in the first quarter, not scoring or not capitalizing on the couple turnovers that they got, uh, in a bit more prominent way was something I, I took away, but I thought tech adjusted well offensively and played much better throughout the rest of the game. So overall, just a really good performance by the Hokies. Ricky, what about you? How are you feeling? I'm going to go with satisfactory. Um, it would be different if we were splitting up on sides of the ball, but when you package everything together, uh, which was modest improvement on the defensive side of the ball, um, a stellar running game, which we've seen or we've really need to come to accept this is just how it's going to be. Tech's running game is going to be really, really good for just about every game on the schedule. Um, and then passing wise, it was good enough. Um, they they didn't look great, but they made just enough throws to get to get the ball moving. Um, and it really didn't matter when when you're going to run the ball like that. So uh, satisfactory, I think, in all in all three phases, um, specifically the defense and and the passing game. Yeah, and the word I would kind of look at for this, in my opinion, is verify. I think that through four games, when you see something four times, you in your mind can verify that what you're seeing is true, that it's not just a one-off, that this is going to happen going forward. And, you know, after North Carolina State, after Duke, even after North Carolina, you say to yourself, wow, this offense is good, but maybe it's just too small of a sample size. Wow, Khalil Herbert's good. Well, maybe it's too small of a sample size. Well, first, let's talk about Khalil Herbert. Through a four-game sample size, Khalil Herbert has the most rushing yards per attempt through four games than any ACC running back since the year 2000. 
Keep in mind that normally through four games, you're playing a patty cake FCS team and maybe a group of five team in there. Nope. Khalil Herbert's done this at a better clip than anyone else in 20 years in this conference against four conference opponents. You see it the fourth time and you start to say, wow, I believe my eyes at this point. This is really happening. The offensive line, game in and game out, it seems like there's a different player being listed to these all-conference or even national pro football-focused teams of the week. Everyone on that offensive line is good. And, and for me, seeing this and seeing it again and again and again and again kind of makes you sit in awe. And, and by the way, the only Virginia Tech player through four games who's had more yards per carry, a guy named Michael Vick had, had 10.5 yards per carry back in the year 2000. My buddy Matt Pluta pointed out to me, Khalil Herbert through four games, 962 all-purpose yards. That's more than Christian McCaffrey had through four games his final season of college. It, it's an exceptional group and they are good at what they do. But Ricky, I want to ask you, you were critical last week of Cornelson's play calling in the first quarter, not giving Herbert the ball enough. Well, in the first quarter of this game, Herbert went from one rush to three rushes. Now he did get like about 30 yards on that early on the Virginia tech offense, a little bit of a slow start. Do you agree more with what they were doing against Boston College than what they were doing against North Carolina? I mean, absolutely. Uh, Cornelison called a very good game. It, it was it was clear uh, really after the first couple drives that Boston College had no idea how to stop this running game. And Cornelson abused them for it. And that's exactly what you should do. Um, there was one drive in particular in the first quarter that I thought was pretty frustrating for Tech fans. Um, where Tech had been moving the ball with a hooker completion and a Herbert big run, and then all of a sudden they go jet sweep, sack, and then seven-yard completion and, and have to kick kick the ball away. Um, but other than that, Cornelson was pretty damn pretty damn good in this game, uh, and he, he certainly deserves credit for it. And the, the, the thing I wrote about in my column for this game was that Tech needs to stick with what is working. Stop trying to get cute with it. And for much of this game, that's exactly what Cornelson did. He stopped trying to get cute with it. He ran it down BC's throat and he punched him in the mouth. Um, he recognized that they had no idea how to stop this running game and he took advantage. And that's what you want your offensive coordinator to do. So um, I credit Cornelson for um, keeping it simple, stupid, <laughs> and, and not trying to do too much on the offensive end. Obviously, I think a lot of people would like to see the tech passing game become a bit more complex and a bit more intricate in, in their design and how they can attack teams. Um, but when you're running the ball this efficiently, you can give on that a little bit because you're generating yards at such a high clip. And it seemed like even when, when tech just flat out said, screw it, we're not going to throw the ball and BC would stack the box, it still didn't matter. Um, and that's, to me, that's, what's really impressive because coming into this game, I thought BC's defense wasn't half bad. Um, but Virginia tech sure made them look like it. Well, well, one thing that I really kind of appreciated from the coaching staff, or at least I, I was able to recognize is that Fuente was kind of 
able to get out of his comfort zone of putting the ball in the air. And he was able to stick with what was working. If you look at Hendon Hooker, I mean, his final line, 11 for 15, 111 yards. So he passed the ball very efficiently. But those 15 attempts is the second fewest passing attempts by a Virginia Tech team in a game since Fuente took over. The only game with less was last year's pit game where they attempted 14, but it was absolutely pouring rain and Tech got out to an early lead. And they also, and they had that one other game against Georgia. I'm looking at Hooker's game log right now. They had one with 13 against Georgia Tech um, and 12 with Carolina. And that's, that's kind of like you were saying, like this is something that we're seeing with Hendon is that he's not airing it out, but he's being efficient with his throws. And I would much rather have a guy who's being efficient with his opportunities rather than somebody who I'm trusting to sling it around 35 times a game. Yeah. I mean, and those are just the hooker lines out though. Because yeah, exactly. That's just, that's with just Georgia tech. They put the backup in and with uh, they put in Quincy who threw a couple more balls. I mean, you're throwing the ball less in this game. than They did in the hurricane against North Carolina back at 16, right? That shows how comfortable they were doing what they were doing. And, you know, I, I think that as great as this offensive line is, with, you know, you can go on and on and on and just name them all as excellent and electrifying as Khalil Herbert has been. You see what's happened since Hendon Hooker took over at halftime against Carolina, six quarters of play, 71 points, 766 yards. That's 8.1 yards per play. And they haven't turned the ball over when we talked about how good Carolina was, right? Ricky, we talked a lot about balance and, and how a balanced attack has to keep the defense on its heels, they have to be aware of the pass, and it opens up the run game even more. And with Hendon Hooker, didn't force a really a throw until the second half that he didn't need to make. Has more rushing yards in the game than their starting running back, Khalil Herbert. With Hendon Hooker, that brings balance to this offense. And for a guy that, you know, the knock on him before they brought him in for Willis was, you know, he, he's not as good of a passer as Willis. And maybe that was kind of one of the knocks that kept him on the bench for so long. But at the end of the day, the balance that Hooker provides to this offense is what allows it to be unleashed. And if you're Hendon Hooker, you don't need to be Sam Howell. You just need to do what you do best. And, and when he is in the game, this offense is firing at a level that we just simply haven't seen before, Mike. Yeah, I agree. And and the one thing that's really interesting, too, is, you know, specific to the play calling with Hendon Hooker. I mean, yeah, he carries the ball 18 times in this game. But the one thing I noticed last year with Virginia Tech when Hendon Hooker came in the game is, you know, Cornelson was real focused on running a lot of like quarterback sweeps with Hooker. And, and they're still running those types of plays but it's also a lot of read option too. It seems like there's more read option with Hendon Hooker than there was a year ago, which speaks to a, the comfort level of Hendon Hooker running those types of reads and B Cornelson's trust in Hooker to run those plays. Cause you'll remember a lot last year, it was either like straight halfback dive out of the backfield, or it was a designed run for Hooker. There, there are less designed runs now for Hooker than there were a year ago. And I think some of that has to do with, A, they're comfortable with Hooker running the read option, but B, they have such a powerful option in Khalil Herbert and everything he's been able to do running the football that I think Brad Cornelson is getting um, a little bit more comfortable with Hendon Hooker running those types of situations um, in the running game. So that's really good. The passing game, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of Tech fans would like to see the passing game opened up a little bit more. 
Um, but to y'all's point, like when the running game is going like this, it's getting to the point now where, uh, you know, if you guys asked me the same question two weeks ago and you guys were like, Hey, you know, what is text passing game need to look like for you to gain comfort? I'd be like, well, I mean, I guess some of these better teams are going to have to find a way to pass the ball. And I still believe that's the case against Clemson, but like against a team, like even like Miami, I think Virginia Tech's going to be able to run the football against them at this point. I mean, Tech's offense running the football is what it is. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, like North Carolina's got a, a good rushing defense. It might not have been as great as everybody built it up to be going into that Tech game um, because of who North Carolina had played. Um, but Virginia Tech ran up and down the field on them. They ran up and down the field on Duke, which is another good front seven, ran up and down the field on Boston College, another good defense. Admittedly, like Miami and Clemson are on another level, and that remains to be seen how well Tuck will run the football in those situations. I think it's fair to say that Tech will need to be a bit more balanced offensively against those two opponents. But when you look at it on the surface, I mean, who's to say Tech can't run the ball well against those teams with the way this offensive line's been blocking and the way the running game has looked? Um, because Tech has gone into some matchups where we're like, okay, this is going to be a pretty good test. And I get that Miami and Clemson are on a different level, but I think Tech is going to be able to run the ball um, well enough to move the football on those teams. Now, passing the football is going to be a whole different thing. I think Hooker is certainly capable of throwing the ball, but I think the offense is going to become um, a bit more filled out, a bit more involved as the season moves along, because I think the receiving core you know, we're starting to see more guys step up every week. I mean, James Mitchell has continued to be really good. He had a pretty quiet game in this one, but he's continued to become that threat on the outside. Tavion Robinson has been very good all year. Trey Turner needs to get healthy. And there's still some transfers we haven't heard from um, in the receiver room. And so it's clear that it's going to be an emphasis to throw the ball a bit more moving forward. I think that's clear. The coaching staff wants to build that out a bit more, but Tech's running the ball so well that you don't want to sacrifice, okay, we need to develop this part of our offense. If the running game is so good and so potent, you don't necessarily want to go away from that in these games that they're playing. One more point that I want to make on Hooker is all of the talk a couple of weeks ago about how Braxton Burmeister opened up this running game and how having him in the game to help run the football was critically important. It was all it was all nonsense, right? Can we can we accept that at this point that Hendon Hooker is perfectly capable of being an explosive runner on his own? Because he he looked damn good against Boston College. I mean, Hendon Hooker's not a big guy, and he's out here putting defenders on their ass. He's he's spinning guys out of tackles. I mean, Hooker is perfectly capable of being an elusive and explosive runner with the football. And we saw that last year. We're seeing it again. And I think it just really goes to show not just how good Hooker is, but how the overall team, in my opinion, is better when, when he's on the field. Well, I, I just think balance is balance, right? And you have Hendon Hooker who, you know, in, in that first half, he, had, he was perfect passing the ball. They were still running the ball, but BC couldn't disregard the possibility that Hendon could drop back to pass and complete it at any time, because that's simply what he did. It's not electric. He's not airing it out. He might not necessarily beat you on the deep ball. He didn't in that game, but we know that he can. I mean, we saw it last year in games with Trey Turner and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, he can run the ball. He runs the option. Well, he can put it in the air, do it at an effective level. And he doesn't turn the ball over in all of Hendon hooker starts. He's only ever throwing the interception in one of them. And that was the U. VA game when hooker is effective and he is the starting quarterback and he doesn't turn the ball over the Hokies win the game. It's a tale as old as time that we've seen so far. I, I want to turn over to the defensive side of the ball. 
we'll, we'll start by being a little bit critical per se. I'll tell you guys that when this game started and for the first six rushing attempts that Boston college had, they were averaging like 7.3 yards per carry. They were kind of, they were kind of gashing it. Tech gets bailed out by turnovers and ultimately it is kind of able to rein them in. It didn't end up being a 7.3 yards per carry day for the Boston college Eagles. It was like a 3.5 yard per carry day. Now keep in mind, that was the most that the Eagles have rushed for all season, but overall we complained a lot about this front seven last week. Do you think they improved enough to instill any confidence going forward? Do you think it was a, a bounce back game for them? In some ways, um, they, they're at least showing that they've got some fight in them and that's, that's encouraging. They, they were not good enough in this game, particularly early on. Um, and even later in the game, Boston College kind of got away from running the football anyway. We, Mike and I were talking about this before we started recording. I mean, Dracovic threw the ball over 50 times in this game, and that's actually something I didn't realize until I started looking at the stat line before we started recording. Um, the, the, the Tech defense was moderately better than they've been for, for the rest of the season. I felt like the defensive line was moderately better. There were a couple real bright spots. Uh, Dax Hollyfield had probably his best game of the season. Um, he was holding up in coverage. He was flying to the football. I didn't see him running himself out of, out of plays. Um, that's that's certainly encouraging. And he was far better than Alan Tisdale, which is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I thought Alan Tisdale played one of his worst games in this one. Uh, Ray Shard Ashby was not impressed with what he did. Um, but I felt like Dax Hollifield held his own in that one. And then obviously Devin Taylor playing a position that he's not familiar with at free safety. And all of a sudden he looks pretty damn comfortable over there. Um, and given the kind of the, the rotating that tech has had to do at free safety, whether it be divine Diablo starting out there and then, then moving Keontae Jenkins over there and then Keontae Jenkins not being available. Uh, Taylor looks like a pretty good solution at free safety and, I would stick with that moving forward. I know that they recruited him to play at Tech as a corner, but it seems like he's kind of got a feel for that center fielder role at free safety that the free safety has to play so often. So I really like what he's doing. Devon Diablo had an impact in this game. Uh, Tech really benefited from his presence, um, not just in coverage, but in the run game, forcing that fumble. Um there, there were some legitimate bright spots for this defense. Uh, I'm not going to give them credit for forcing all five of those turnovers because, frankly, at least two of them were real bonehead plays. I mean, the the Dracovic kind of pitch to to the running back was just brutal. I mean, that so was, bad, so it bad. Was, it, it was horrific, and it, it kind of looked like they were playing uh, sixth grade Pop Warner out there. And then Dracovic made this weird ass throw over the middle of the field that I think, I think that was the one Devin Taylor came up with. Yep. Um, I had no idea where that pass was going. No clue. Yeah. I, I don't even know if, if Halfley knew where the ball was going on that one. It was almost I mean, like miscommunication or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Boston college gifted them at least two of the five turnovers and you can make an argument for more, but I still am going to give this tech defense credit for some moderate improvement. Um, they are going to have some tougher tests later. I think Wake Forest offense is clearly better 
than BC, and we'll talk about them on the next podcast. Uh, Clemson, obvious. Miami, obvious. Um, possibly even Louisville. I'm not really sure. Louisville's been kind of a <laughs> – I, I, I got nothing on them right now. Anyway. Um, <laughs> They're a mess. Yeah, they are. I mean, <laughs> 12 to 7 <laughs> – <laughs> Come oh my on. god yeah I, um but no, say about Notre Dame there too yeah so Tech's defense was better they still have a long way to go they need to get Deshaun Crawford back into the swing of things at defensive tackle because I'm not really liking what I'm seeing from Josh Fuga or from Jared Hewitt if we're being honest um Brayshard Ashby's got to get it together man I know Justin Fuente defended him today that we're recording this Monday night Fuente defended him in the uh, in the Zoom press conference uh, earlier today, this afternoon, but I'm I'm just not seeing it. I mean, I'm clearly not the football mind that Justin Fuente is, but I'm not seeing Rayshard Ashby making the impact plays that we've become accustomed to him making. Yeah, Mike. I mean, just looking at the the secondary. You know, no Waller in that game. You kind of felt the presence of Diablo being back. I was worried about Dracovic going into the game, and you and I discussed it on our preview podcast, Mike, that this is a guy with a lot of arm talent, and this was the type of BC offense that we hadn't seen before. I usually kind of start freaking out about two hours before the game and think of all the ways that this could possibly go wrong. <laughs> and for me, going into the game, I thought about the talent that Djokovic had as a former five-star guy, as a guy that was at least believed to be Notre Dame's guy, thought about Hunter Long, thought about Zay Flowers, and I basically thought to myself, Virginia Tech loses if Djokovic beats us himself using some combination of both Flowers and Long. Well, Flowers had his least effective game in ACC play. He wasn't able to get that deep ball that he had shown time and time again throughout the season that he was able to make those game-breaking catches that would keep Boston College in it. Hunter Long hadn't been held under 80 yards to this point. Tech held him to 53, his least effective game by far. And Djokovic, he didn't beat us. He more so beat himself. So I think that credit where it's due to the tech defense, we talked about shutting down those two guys as the two keys to the game. And they did. Djokovic was forced to spread the ball to all of his receivers, something he had not done so far this year. And then ultimately it's Djokovic that beats himself. But Mike, looking at this defensive performance, this defense, given the circumstances, I know it's crazy to say, because now we're four weeks in, because of COVID, it's not a finished product. Where we stand today, what would you tell a Tech fan is a reasonable expectation for this defense going forward? Well, I mean, I, th I think you're going to get a little bit better version of what you got against BC moving forward. Um, I don't think Tech is nearly as bad as they looked against North Carolina. I also don't think they're necessarily as good as they looked against like NC State, for instance. Um, I, I think this Virginia Tech defense is going to be a work in progress. I think it's a really hard question to answer um, at the moment because it is a new scheme. It was a shortened off season um, and the switch from man to zone uh, clearly has shown the Virginia Tech secondary to have some issues in the early part of the year. But then again, we're kind of grading on a curve too because a lot of Tech secondary was out. Uh, I think the linebackers certainly need to play better. It was nice to see Dax Hollyfield play well. Um, I, I agree with Ricky. I think this was his best game of the year, certainly. 
Um, Rayshard Ashby, I agree. I mean, I think we can certainly get more out of him. And I think kind of just looking at the way Alan Tisdale's played, he's been asked to do a lot of different things. I mean, he finished this game second in tackles. Um, so that, that was good, but I thought he was out of position a good bit. So I, I agree with Ricky there as well. The, the couple of bright spots in the secondary, and I thought the secondary actually played a pretty solid game overall. Um, a couple of busted coverages early, but I think overall they played pretty well. Uh, Dorian's strong. <laughs> he's a true freshman, and he looks like he's been out there like three years. He's been really, really good for Virginia Tech, and it's been a big reason why Tech's secondary hasn't totally fallen apart without Jermaine Waller. He's been really outstanding. He's uh, kind of he's kind of reminding me of early Brandon Faison. Yeah, I don't think he's quite as good, but um, he's still having some some mistakes in coverage. But by and large, he's he's tattooed on his man, and that's impressive for a guy who really had no business playing this year. Right, and uh, there was a lot of criticism about that 2020 recruiting class, and Dorian Strong and Keontae Jenkins already have made significant contributions on the defense, which is a good sign for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, we did a podcast over the summer where we talked about how the 2020 recruiting class needed to have a handful of guys that were pretty good. And so far, Keontae Jenkins and Dorian Strong, at least in the early going, have been really solid when they've been playing for the Hokies. Uh, Shamari Connor was an ACC defensive back of the week. He had 11 tackles in this game. He had a quarterback hurry, a pass defended. He was real solid, I thought, the entire game. I thought Besides that one play on the sideline that they got bailed out on where yes, yes. He, went, he went head hunting again. He did. <laughs> He did. I, that was not good. <laughs> um, but I, I thought overall the defense did play better. Um, the tackling was not great in the first half that left a bit to be desired. Uh, but I thought in the second half, the tackling was better. I thought the tech secondary in particular did a better job in the second half of keeping um, the big plays in front of them. Uh, like you mentioned, Andrew, I, I thought tech did a really nice job on Zay flowers. He led the, he led the Eagles in receptions. He had seven of them. Um, but he only had, I believe it was 57 yards. Yeah, 57 yards in the game. And, you know, Tech not getting beat deep by Zay Flowers is a huge reason why they were able to have success in this game. Jalen Gill kind of took his place in that regard. Six catches for 104 and a touchdown. He had obviously a 43-yard bomb that he caught. Um, but I thought overall the Tech defense was better. And, you know, being able to bottle up the run a bit in the second half was encouraging and getting off the field on third down. There was one point in the first half where Boston College was four of five on third down and then had just made a fourth down conversion. So they were five of six on, on plays where Tech's trying to get off the field, which is never good. But I thought Virginia Tech's defense overall strapped up in the second half and played a lot better. And obviously forcing five turnovers is only going to help you. Um, if you're able to do that. So it was a very bend, but don't break performance. And it was encouraging for Virginia tech to come back and have the resiliency that they did after just getting gashed by North Carolina uh, two Saturdays ago. I, I thought it was overall an encouraging performance and a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, looking at this defense, we now can say they don't have to be great. They just have to be good enough. If this offense is firing at all cylinders. They did not do that against North Carolina. They did quite the opposite, and they were punished for it. But so far, with a group that has faced a ton of adversity from a football standard due to the COVID, due to having to mix and match and bring in guys like Devin Taylor, who two and a half months ago was on Illinois State, <laughs> comes yeah. in, has to quarantine, and now suddenly he's playing out of position for Virginia Tech, and he comes away with an interception. 
it's not going to be easy. And these guys get somewhat of a pass. They just can't be tragic. And the good news for guys like we saw it with Dax Hollyfield, a bad performance, but we've seen him play better. And you can reasonably expect him to improve. I feel the same way about Ray Shard Ashby. I feel the same way about Deshaun Crawford once he gets a couple of games under his belt here coming off of the injury. This group will improve. They just need to hold up. And, and I think that this part of the schedule, Wake Forest, will be a test. It's a good offensive team. But as long as Virginia Tech keeps rolling, they don't need to be good. They just need to be passable. And in, in the case of this week, they were very advantageous. They didn't let Djurkovic beat them. They let Djurkovic beat himself. The other good thing, too, about Virginia Tech's offense relying so much on running the football is that it can shorten the game. And that's something that is probably going to come in handy later down the season. Um, Tech Tech is going to have to shorten some of these games particularly against Miami. Uh, that one worries that one worries the hell out of me. Um, it may come into effect this week against Wake Forest, and we'll talk about that more on the next pod. But Wake Forest can score, and they can score a lot. Um, so being able to shorten the game and get your defense plenty of rest, winning the time of possession battle, this is something that can be extremely beneficial. And we saw this a little bit in 2017 when Virginia Tech was clearly – not who they were in 2016. Um, their defense was pretty good, but their offense, they, they were kind of struggling to score points, and they were really just trying to limit the amount of possessions in the game so they didn't have to get themselves in a shootout. And that was kind of the formula in 2017, and it worked. And I think that we could see something similar here, except that this offense can be extremely efficient given well how running their football. Agree. Agree. And, and the one thing also that I want to point out in 2016, we saw a very similar type rushing attack, right? The Hokies utilized the quarterback a lot more in the run game because Gerard Evans was so damn good running the football. Um, they utilized him a ton in the running game. And obviously Trayvon McMillan was a big part of that offense as well. But Tech did a really good job running the football back in 2016, and they went into an ACC championship against Clemson. Now, Clemson was not as – I mean, Te- Clemson was one of the best teams in the country that year, but they weren't as good then as they are right now, for sure, far and away. But Tech went into that game where they were far outmatched all over the field against Clemson, and they held their own and damn near won the game in the fourth quarter – because they were able to utilize this formula of running the football really well. Now, defensively, obviously, Tech's going to have to take some steps forward and play much like they did in 2016. But the formula offensively is there for Tech to not get totally blown out against Clemson, which I think at this point, if you're a team of the ACC, it's all you can ask for. That is the bar at this point. Don't get blown out by Clemson. Hold your own and at least look semi-competitive at points throughout the game. That's a feather in your cap. I'm not for moral victories by any stretch. But I think with how good Clemson is right now, and they're in war machine mode, Ricky. We talked about it on Twitter this weekend. 73 damn points. Yep. And they are very difficult to stop. And Virginia Tech's defense certainly cannot stop all of Clemson's playmakers because Ooh. they are real, real good all over the field. And Tech's far outmatched. But the recipe to make that game interesting for a while is there if Tech can continue to run the football well. Yeah, yep. I mean, but, but through four games, right? Is it a reasonable expectation now for Tech fans to say, all right, we can win out before Clemson? Do you see that as a serious possibility with the way that this team has played through four games? We'll, we'll you know, assume no devastating injuries. It's, it's possible, but I don't think it's likely. 
I think Tech is is likely to lose two of the remaining games. Um, I, I don't think they're good enough to 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 run the tables other than Clemson. Um, Miami is going to be a problem. I, I understand that uh, Clemson easily dispatched them, and they look kind of sketchy this past week for for a little bit of the game. But that's not going to be fun. Um, as much as Tech fans don't want to hear this, Liberty is not a slouch. Nope. Okay. Going to be a ranked matchup. Yep. Yeah. And um, if anyone was paying attention, they dispatched Syracuse in the Jiffy Pop Dome quite easily this past weekend. And they're not they're not going to just get they're not going to be a doormat. Agreed. Uh, Pitt, Pitt is always a problem. Heinz Field is a house of horrors. We all know that. Um, and if Brennan Armstrong is healthy, I still think the Virginia game is going to be going to be tough. So I, I, I don't it's not out of the question for Tech to win all of these games other than Clemson. I do not think it is likely. Um, but w- w- the the possibility is there. I just don't think it's realistic. I think Liberty is Virginia Tech's third toughest game remaining. And some people might think that's a hot take. I Offensively, I, I looked at what they did. I mean, they're good on they're offense. Close. And yeah, yeah, they're close. I mean, they're good on offense. And they have a, I mean, it's been against lesser competition. They have two but really good running bad. backs that both went for 100 plus against Syracuse. And again, yep. we know it's Syracuse, but Syracuse is recruiting P5 guys. Liberty isn't. Now, I understand yep. Hugh Freeze is recruiting at a higher level than Liberty's used to, but. Um, Liberty is not all that talented of a team, at least on paper. Now, another name that Tech fans are going to be familiar with, Malik Willis, is running the show over there yep. in Lynchburg. That's a former Tech commit who went to George Tech and then transferred out. Um, those those three guys are going to be a problem. They're not going to be an easy out. I would be shocked if Tech wins that game by more than 14 points. Agree. For some Tech fans, we're looking way ahead here. But to Pitt, you look at Pitt with a three and three record and kind of laugh and say, oh, wow, yeah, Pitt was supposed to be so good. Some people had Pitt higher in the preseason power rankings than they had Tech. You know, sometimes life is about matchups. I don't even know who Pitt is. I I am not going to scoff at a Pitt team that, despite a three and three record, is only allowing 61.5 rush yards per game. They need to figure out who the hell they are because they got off to that that screaming start. And ever since then, they've looked horrible. Yeah, I don't think Pitt's known who they are in like five years. Yeah, <laughs> the identity's a mess. I I would not be surprised if Narduzzi doesn't last more than a couple more. I think everybody's safe in this COVID year because financial depart the the athletic departments financially are a nightmare across the country right now. So I think Narduzzi's probably safe this year. But if Pitt can't comes out next year and doesn't play particularly well, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a move. He'd be entering year seven there. It would did not be a surprise to me. Extension a couple years ago, he did, but it was one of those that gives you kind of um, some leeway on some of the opt years uh-huh. down the line. So uh-huh. he did sign extension, but it's not one of those be all end all. You know, you're tied to Pat Narduzzi forever if you're Pittsburgh. Um, so it'll be just something, something to look at. Something to keep an eye on another yeah. one will be Syracuse, which is which is much. Yeah, I, it pains me to say it, but I know. Babers reportedly has an extension through 2024, but man, Syracuse looks bad. Got some questions. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. Yeah. You know, you know, last thing guys, I was on ESPN.com today. They released their mid season power rankings or mid season awards, I should say. And they had Justin Fuente at number two in national coach of the year candidate. Number two. Behind who? 
behind the BYU coach. Uh, oh, Sataki. Yeah, that makes sense. And I got to say, I kind of agree, at least for ACC coach of the year, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be the front runner. And credit where it's due, given all the turbulence of the offseason, both starting with the Baylor chaos and then everything that happened on the recruiting trail, just going for this season, rag on him for what he you know, has done in the recruiting trail. But like Mike said earlier, two of his 2020 recruits are making instant impacts here. And then going out and getting Khalil Herbert, knowing what his team was, a good offensive line and a running game that was willing to be unleashed, just waiting, going and getting Khalil Herbert to fill that need and basically maximize your team's potential. And then going three and one through all the chaos of the season so far, can't give him an A because he's not undefeated through four games, but he's a hard A minus for me. Lots of credit to Justin Fuente and the coaching staff. We've ragged on him when we haven't agreed with what he's doing, but so far you got to be really happy with what him and his staff have done this season. I think the main thing with, with Justin is the team hasn't had any internal strife despite all that's gone on. Um, guys not being available um, guys going up and down the depth chart, depending on who tests positive and who gets pulled out because of contact tracing. The, the, there seems like there's some cohesion to to this team. And given everything that's going on, I think Justin deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, he deserves credit for being able to plug and play with a few of these young guys, namely Keontae Jenkins. Um, and then some of the cornerbacks, Devin Taylor, again, who had like, two weeks of practice time with him <laughs> yeah, yeah. before he was thrown into the mix. Um, there, there are some other guys in the ACC that are, are worthy of consideration. Obviously Dabo is just under consideration every year because what he's, what he does at Clemson is just downright ridiculous. Um, depending on how their years finish out, I think Manny Diaz at Miami could be an option um, and st- still could Mac Brown. I, I understand that the, the loss at uh, Florida state was disappointing, but um those are two programs that those are two coaches that could could find themselves in in a chance there. But Justin Fuente has certainly been impressive for what he's done uh, in the aggregate. There have been plenty of things I have criticized him about, and I will continue to criticize him if it's warranted. But when you when you take put together the entire picture um, and kind of the the prognosis for the rest of the season, there's certainly plenty to be encouraged about and. Um, he deserves some recognition for that. You know, yeah. Ricky, from the low point of his tenure, which is the 45 to 10 loss at home versus Duke last year, since Hendon Hooker took over at starting quarterback, you know, it hasn't always been pretty. One thing you've always been able to say about this team, they have been unified and they have been resilient. And I, I think that is an indicator of a good coaching staff. So you got to be proud of what they've done. Any final thoughts, guys? Just one. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Just, just one guy that um, we didn't mention. It's going to be real hard for him the rest of the way because he's not going to have a starting quarterback. But I think Dave Doran said a really nice job at NC State this year. Yeah. Entered the year on the hot seat. We talked about it on this podcast. It was going to be real tough. I mean, NC State has not been great the last couple of years. Really struggled last year, obviously. And Devin Leary hadn't completed 50% of his passes a year ago as a true freshman. He came in the game um, against Virginia Tech and gave some life to an offense in a blowout and then took that forward through the next few games. And NC State started playing some really good offensive football, and it really helped the defense too because defense was getting killed in the first few games uh, because the offense was struggling so much. 
Um, but the passing game really improved for NC State um, under Devin Leary, and he broke his leg, so he's going to be out four to eight weeks. So Bailey Hawkman came in, played well this past weekend. I'm curious to see if NC State's able to continue that. They look like they found a bit of an identity running the football and playing better, much better defense than That's what, what we saw. should be doing is running the football. Yeah, just much better defense than what we saw um, about a month ago in Blacksburg as well. So they're they're on the uptick. I'm curious to see how that pans out now without Devin Leary. It's probably going to be a little bit more rocky the rest of the way, but I think Dave Doran has done a great job at, at NC State. Kind of funny, right? Because in 2017, 2018, when, when Virginia Tech opened their season with wins over West Virginia and Florida State, who were at the time ranked teams, the fans got excited and they ended up being garbage. This year, Virginia Tech opens the season with a win over NC State, who everyone was kind of like, oh, they might have just been trash. Well, here we are, a couple weeks in. I know the season's not over, but they're ranked now. That win ends up being a little more impressive. And maybe if we had known that this was a team that was going to be four and one through the stretch or whatever, Tech fans would have been a little more hyped and looked at that a little bit differently. Ricky, anything else from you, buddy? Yeah, I want to just add a quick point to what you, you mentioned about the unity of the team. We haven't seen this team quit since 2018 they've they've fallen down in some games and they've looked pretty bad at, at a plenty of times but by and large this team rallies at some point and at least gives themselves a chance to win the football game um 2018 was a mess we all remember that it sucked it was awful but um i actually i, I should amend that to say 2019 duke we haven't seen this team just flat out quit um they've been battling back ever since and that's that, that that's an encouraging sign. And a lot of our criticisms of Fuente come off the field, whether it be recruiting or talent evaluation, how he handles alumni relations, things like that. But um, it's, it's pretty hard to, to argue that, that Fuente doesn't have a grip on the locker room and that he doesn't have the belief and the trust of his players, because it certainly looks like that he does on the field and, they're going to need it for the rest of the season because you're going to see guys continue to come in and out of the lineup because of COVID. Um, they're going to have two extremely tough games left on the schedule. I really don't think any of these games that they have left are going to be blowouts in their favor, um, at least on paper. I think they're going to have to fight, claw, scratch to win these games, um, even if it's by two scores. But I, I don't see an easy out on the schedule. I really don't. Yep, and it all starts this week with Tech taking on Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, a new test to be prepared for. And we will bring you all of the analysis in our preview for that game, which will come out later this week. I am Andrew Alex. For Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, we thank you for listening to the Hokie Angover podcast. We also thank our friends over at Main Street Pharmacy for sponsoring our podcast. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you, look no further than main street pharmacy mike ricky final thoughts anything to say to the people um no i got nothing enjoy your week we'll be back soon yeah rate review all that good stuff yep subscribe rate review tell Follow us on twitter and read our stuff too yes yep. indeed indeed listen to andrew's show on espn blacksburg it's good it's pretty good espn blacksburg app go ahead and download that please uh so yeah we'll be back on You'll probably get it on Thursday, folks. Until then, enjoy the week. The Virginia Tech Hokies, 3-1, and one, number 19 in the country. Exciting stuff. And we'll be with you all season right here on the Hokie Hangover Podcast. As always, go Hokies.